Fail. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Welcome to episode uh. 61 of Running Matters. My name's Matt North. I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Hadfield. How are you, Hattie? Mate, I'm going well. Getting used to the Skype interview, yeah. social distancing. Exactly right. Our special guest today is Courtney Atkinson. Thanks for giving up your time today, mate. Hey, no problem at all. Before we get into it, I'd like to thank our partners, Ranella, Sydney Brewery, Goo Energy, Guy Allied Health, Basecamp Altitude, T8 Run, Precision Hydration and Fractal Running Caps. I'd also like to thank Jimmy Carroll for doing the editing behind the scenes. So, Courtney, quick question. Do you have a nickname? Because Courtney's a pretty long name. Yeah, well, Courtney's another whole story, and I kind of curse my parents, right? Because um, <laughs> I've I've checked into too many a hotels where it's Mrs. Courtney Atkinson up on the yeah. um, <laughs> on the screen. But um, I suppose people close to me call me Acko or just Court Courtney. When it's formal, yeah. it's Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We're better stick with Courtney then, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, plenty of people have had their races postponed or rescheduled for later in the year. What was your calendar looking like this year? Yeah, well, I'm the same as everyone. I um, I was looking forward to getting out and doing a bit more racing this year and I was going to race, obviously, six-foot track because that's where we'd first kind of been speaking. And then um, UTA, we had Red Bull Defiance um, penciled in. And then I kind of just go with the flow a little bit, to be honest, fellas. Um I never plan out too much during my year. I mean, the way I look at events these days is I I don't really structure out too much because I'm always looking for something unique and something new and normally that just comes through word of mouth. So I know just before all of this, oh, you know, we kind of got shut down with this whole virus situation. Um, I kind of got wind of that and jumped across New Zealand really quickly and raced uh, a trail a trail run over there and that I had no idea that race even existed um it was just literally I was putting the feelers out that week and it seemed interesting enough and and went off and did it and that was the Moritapu was it Courtney yeah that was that one so um I spent a fair bit of time over around the area but never really through that section so it was um someone said to me I think what was it Oh, now you're going to really find out how bad I am on um, on facts and figures and things like that. But I think, I think was, <laughs> I don't know, it was it 50K or something like that? Anyway, yeah, I looked yeah, at the yeah. distance and I thought, oh, it's not too bad. And then um, I ended and then looked at the times and it was like a seven-hour, seven-and-a-half-hour winning run. And I'm like, oh, God, what have I put myself in for? But um, it was it was spectacular and beautiful course. Yeah, I've done that, that one before. It's a cracking course. Beautiful. Mate, as, uh, as one of the most decorated triathletes Australia has produced, back-to-back-to-back Noosa Tri winner, 2008 and 12 Olympian and multiple ITU race winner, how, how do you go without having a, a race to train for? Do you still keep motivated? Um, well, the racing, I suppose the events... I choose, I still race because it gives motivation to do something, right? I think once you lose that, it makes it very, very difficult um, when you've come from that competitive background. Um, I just look at races, like I kind of alluded to it, the way I look at events and races now is, I, is different. Um, I'm looking for something that's going to, I don't even know the way to say it. It's got to tickle my fancy somehow, right? It's It's got to have something different, something in there that kind of um, – 
gets me out of makes me kind of either a bit scared i suppose a bit um you know a bit un, of the unknown um a bit of adrenaline it can be any of those things or simply just something i give that's i suppose i wanted to achieve um i kind of find it really difficult to go back and do the same thing over and over again and that's just you know i've been at it for 20 years or so um you know being pretty repetitive in triathlon so the whole reason i'm continuing is for that adventure now kind of getting finding new things are you just focusing on trail running or are there other adventure racing or, or cross sports that you're doing? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I cross train all the time. Um, I'm definitely not just trail running. It's just the fact that with what I commit to now, trail running's like, to be honest, trail running's trending. It's huge. Um, it's it's interesting. It's, you know, a lot of the courses and a lot of the things out there is, kind of races i haven't done before but if the right adventure race comes up um to be frank i'd be over in the adventure race like asap so some of the stuff i've seen you know up in china they do or um you know anything like rebel defiance team racing that's those type of things um i'm definitely always ticking over still on the bike and the mountain bike and kayaks and swimming and whatever else it's just that to be frank i get up every day and run because i love it um, it's as simple as that. So whether I was racing or not racing, um, I run for the same reason most people run, and that's because they feel bloody good when you finish. And um, I want to stay fit and all those kind of reasons that, you know, you may not expect to hear that from someone who's come from that Olympic and competitive background, but that's, I think, the reason why I was able to kind of stay in a career so long doing it is that, you know, when it comes down to the but, you know the fundamental reason i suppose of why i run it's because it makes you feel good and i enjoy it oh, it's nice to have that internal drive mate it certainly makes things easier at the moment could, yeah, sure. could we just touch on your, your olympic sort of stuff for a couple of minutes mate just want to go back to 2008 in beijing um what was that experience like for you courtney yeah, Beijing was a like a well, one. It was a great experience. I mean, to finally get to the games and and be there and be part of it was, um, you know, it's cliche, but it was really what I dreamt about as a kid. Um, it took probably longer than I expected to get there. You know, I'd been racing for like from at a I suppose a reasonably high level since I was a pretty young kid, and I think there was a few teams there when I was really young that I probably considered I should have been in, and I wasn't. So. It was kind of a bit of a, a late start, but um, the race in Beijing, um, I mean, in the end, I did what I did. It was a good day, and it, the result was what it was. Um, I think from maybe from like a country perspective, it was a little bit disappointing, and that was a, you know, it's always hard as an athlete when you're racing for your country because there was high expectations. I mean, I'd been pretty much podiuming and in every event up to then I'd placed second in the test event for Beijing and then didn't pull off a podium. So um, I wouldn't say there was disappointment, but it, it definitely, it's not easy on the face of it when you come out something like that. But then on the flip side, if you go to London, um, I had no expectations. So London mm. was a great experience for me because I was, um, it just happened to be that year. I probably wasn't at the be in my best form um, of my life for sure, and I came away with a race that I didn't expect, and um, kind of walked away like you know 
thinking, geez, I, you know, it was a great experience, number one. But two, there'll be, I don't think there'd ever be another triathlon event like that. Um, the fact it was in Hyde Park with, mm. you know, the Brownlee brothers, two Brits at the time. Um, I think they were saying like nearly half a million people out there on the road watching the race. Um, you know, it, as far as triathlon goes, I think we got that once in a lifetime experience. I mean, we were out on the course that day. And on the bike, we couldn't actually even hear ourselves talking to each other. It was that loud. So we were wow. relying completely on um, completely on going down, yeah, towards um, Buckingham Palace along that stretch of road. It was just absolutely deafening. And even I remember arriving at Hyde Park the morning of the race and um, over we were obviously on one side of Hyde Park and over the other side of Hyde Park, you could hear – like this, it was like a being in a stadium and you could hear this massive cheer going and you're like, what, you know, there's two hours to even race, what was happening? And it was simply the Brownlee brothers were warming up on their bikes along the other side of the course. And, um, you know, at that point I was like, oh, this is, you know, this out of all the races I've ever like wanted to be in, this is the one because, um, you know, it was like all the stars aligned to make it that event. How good. That's incredible. Well, I remember watching that one, the, the battle between the Brownleys and the Gomez towards the end. That was spectacular racing. Mate, um, one of my favourite little tidbits about that London Games is that you actually flew in from France to go to the opening ceremony and then flew home the next day. You, you didn't want to miss out on that one, Courtney? Nah, we missed out on Beijing. And like I said, you when you when I can look at it in a bit of retrospect now, you, you know, you're so focused on competition um, in that part, you know, that time of your life. Um, you know, everything seems to revolve around sport. And I think I was pretty lucky because I, I had a family at quite a young age. So my sport and my family life and my day-to-day life was quite separate. Um, and I think that always gave me, you know, really good perspective on things. Um, so I was like, we're not, no way I'm missing. Like we're in France. It's like an hour and a half plane trip away there's no way i'm going to sit here when we've got to race 10 days later um in france and watch it on tv like i'm going so i think half the team i'm actually not sure i think i was the only one from the team that year that went um and you know in hindsight you're like what eight ten years down the track you kind of go geez like if i didn't do that would the mm. Olympic games have been the same experience like i went to an olympic games but i never got to actually experience you know those extra parts of it that really in the end of the stories and what matters. Yeah, it's not the kind of stuff you regret, is it? Nah, absolutely. And, the, I mean, um, I'm just trying to think back to what even happened. So, like, if in triathlon, what happens is we don't actually go into the uh, – the, I just lost words. We really? don't go into the village at the time. So pretty much before you race, we stay in hotels just because of the nature of the sport, um, close to the course where we can train and those types of things. And generally triathlon's been in, you know, historically towards the end of the game. So you only get to go into the village for a couple of days after and it's everyone's kind of already done their main party and everything else. Whereas that year I got to go in and, you know, spend a night with actually a couple of my really good mates. So Kai Hurst, an open water swimmer, and Kenny Wallace, who was one of our gold medalists in kayaking, um, we went into our own room just for one night in the village to do this opening ceremony. So I, um, as far as like, you know, three local kind of Gold Coast fellas who grew up together knocking around here and here we are in, in London at the opening ceremony, mate, it was, you know, I don't really think about it too much. We're just talking about it now. It's kind of like, yeah, won't give that one back. Mate, it's for an outsider that sounds amazing. It's unreal, unreal. 
Mate, um, we've got a, got to listen a question just about uh, Beijing champion Jan Fredino. So th- this is coming from uh, Try Curious. So given the same age and technology, who do you think would win the Ironman Crowey versus Jan? Oh, jeez. It doesn't matter what you say, hey, you're right or wrong, <laughs> either way. Um, look... I'll answer it this way. Um, Ironman is a different sport to tri- like triathlon isn't one sport. You know, the, what Olympic distance is and what Ironman is and what sprint racing when I started off was, um, you know, all everyone's got their own little niche and everything like that. Um, but in my areas I raced, I obviously was always focused on Olympic distance. I loved the whole idea of speed and going as fast as you could for as long as you could right on that kind of limiter of where you're going to fall off the cliff. Um, and yarn for when I raced him in those situations was just unbelievable. And then you see like what I've seen him go on to do in Ironman now and the speed base that he had going there. I mean, in the end, yes, things are survival, but speed base wins out. Um, and the guy can run like, I mean, he won an Olympic gold medal, didn't he, over running a sub-30 or something in a triathlon? Crazy. Hard to imagine in the fire out. Yeah, and then, I mean, you see what he's half Ironman. I think he did a few years back with Gomez. And, like, I raced Gomez and the Brownleys a lot, um, I suppose, through some of my better years. And just, the you know, their ability and pace. Um, you know, it's it's horses for courses, right? I have a real appreciation for just the the, the speed they could go for that distance at the end of two hours. So um, I'm not going to answer your question, to be honest. <laughs> You're sitting nicely on the fence there, mate. <laughs> yeah, I'll just, I'll just stick on the fence on this one. <laughs> Perfect. But how did you go transitioning from Olympic distance to the longer stuff? Did um, the training have to change much? And what do you think your body's sort of better suited to? Yeah, oh, 100% shorter, um, no doubt in the world. Uh, I think for me the biggest struggle moving or going longer was the boredom, and I hate to say that, and that's why I love adventure and I love trails so much is there's always something. You know, you can be out there for eight hours or a whole day at something like coast to coast, but there's always something going on, whereas, you know, I spent a lot of years in travel. I spent a lot of years on road bikes out on the roads and to move from, I love the crack of the can. Um, <laughs> a lot of, um, I suppose my time, like even training for Olympic distance, we were out there doing, you know, four and a half, five hour rides every week, week in, week out, twice a week. And the reality is, and the way I see it is for interest sake, I just had this calling to do something that can keep, keep, my brain kind of renewed the whole time. So to move from doing a sport that I, um, you know, a short distance triathlon sport that I love the racing element of it to go to a sport where I'd like spend so much time on my own, but in an environment that was actually, you know, quite laborious to me, it was, it was a massive challenge. I hope that's not, I mean, and there's no just, disrespect to anyone i mean i i look at iron man and just go my god like these guys deserve it's a you know it's hard yards right the training and the amount of what they do on the road and now on the trainers these days it's just you know it's mind-boggling what they go through and like out of all sports it's one of the sports that i think don't get um you know the accolades they probably deserve 
Yeah, I agree. Like you say, it's just about finding that personal intrinsic motivation and whatever floats your boat is what you aim for. So, 100%. Makes, makes sense to me. So, Courtney, um, talk about 2016. So, you famously set your sights on qualifying for a third games, being the Rio games. Um, what was the driving force to come out of retirement and have a third crack? Um, well, the number one driving force is just something like renewed motivation to go after something. Um, and then there was a number of factors into that that had gave me that motivation. One was, you know, in no one had actually done it in Australia. Um, Emma Moffat ended up going on to do it as a female, but no male had gone to three Olympic Games. So that was a big... Um, you know, a big driving factor. The fact that I'd moved to, I suppose, long course and I'd had a fair amount of success in the half Ironman stuff. Like the half Ironman distance to me was closer to Olympic distance. And it was, um, you know, when I raced, it was relatively the same, but relatively easy as well, because the competition, to be honest, wasn't as hard as, you know, racing World Cups in um, ITU. But at the same time, you know, the race was out like I, I the race was over a lot of the times and you're still racing out there for four or five hours you know for the same amount of time so mm-hmm. it the appeal of going back to the competition of, a, of ITU was probably one of the biggest driving factors and that coupled with you know um a whole range of things around being the first person to do it um you know even business decisions around you know who supported me at the time and um I don't you know, probably the bigger question I get around that is, do I regret doing it? And the answer is like, no, no way in the world, because everything, I'm a big believer in everything you do kind of creates the path where you get to. And I don't believe I would have had the success and I suppose the enjoyment of sport post that if I would have continued down the, you know, more endurance triathlon track. So going back to Olympic distance triathlon and actually failing then opened up all these new opportunities in adventure. And, um, you know, I'd probably say to the extent of I would wish I would have went this way earlier, but if I would have done that earlier, I wouldn't have had the opportunities I've had since then. So, you know, everything leads to the next thing. And, you know, that's probably day to day. That's still how I live my life. It's uh, a great perspective. Thanks, Courtney. You um, you mentioned UTA earlier. Um, you did the twenty two in twenty eighteen and, and twenty nineteen. What what's the appeal about doing the the twenty two k as opposed to the fifty or the hundred? Yeah, I've planned. I planned on the fifty this year. The only reason I was um, in the twenty two last year is I was I had to go to Europe the weekend after and. Um, two parts to that is I'd, I'd planned to race this race called Zagama and I wanted to train for it really properly and, you know, have a really good crack at it. And as it turned out, um, you know, my biggest, I suppose, Achilles heel these days is just time to train. You know, I'm not, I'm, yes, I'm obviously racing at quite a high level in, in running and trails and adventure and whatever else, whatever else it is, but I'm quite busy on a lot of other things as well. Um, you know, I've got, production filming um I, I work for some different organizations and um i'm probably to have the commitment to kind of spend you know what i'd have to do to race the best in the world in a race like sagama when australia don't even have mountains i think i was kind of like um it needed a lot more time to race but that was purely the basis behind racing 22 at uta is mm-hmm. that i wanted to save myself uh yeah 
What was that uh, experience like at Zagama? It looks like the uh, closest thing trail running has to like a Tour de France finish. Must have been mate. cool to be part of. Oh, mate, it's, it was everything I thought it would be, heard it would be, and more. Um, it was, you know, it's really difficult to find, you know, when you've had, I suppose, those experiences like I talked about in London Olympics, it's really hard to find events that can kind of replicate things like that um, mm. in, in the sports we deal with. You know, you're a, a isolated a lot. You're obviously on your own racing a lot in endurance sports. And this race I saw, like, the Sullivan team had told me about it and I'd seen it and I was like, this is one. You know, when I talked about how do I choose events, this was, like, one I just had to do. Um, in some shape or form before I was, like, too like got too old, I had to go to Zagama. Um, I wasn't in the shape I would have liked to have been to, uh, to have done it, but at the same time, um, I couldn't pass up the opportunity. So I'd spent uh, – I think I flew to London – the week prior, so I was only in Europe for about six days for it. In the preparation, I'd flown into London to Red Bull in London, um, pretty much jet lagged for two days of work, and then quickly had to go down to Austria for another few days, and then literally had just the weekend to squeeze in to head to Spain to race the Gama. So, um, man, I was so sore. I was hobbling, hobbling around the whole week after it, like people looking at me going like where have you been and what have you done um it was like if you think of something like six foot tracks the garma's like that times three it the hills are just crazy yeah wow it's definitely one for the bucket list for me it's a pretty good video um that people can watch is best place to see that for the listeners on, on your youtube channel or uh on zagama me yeah I, oh i'm not sure I think I took a bit of POV out on the course, just like um, just some small snippets of going up in in the big kind of crowd sections up the mountains. But yeah. you know, you you see one of them, and you kind of see they video quite often one of those mountain sections. But there's probably about four or five of them throughout the race that are all that packed. So oh, like, there's wow. even there's even a valley you run across. Um, and so you're up, you kind of get up to some elevation and you run across this valley at about maybe a 30, 35K into the race and you're running through all these green pastures and then in the distance it just looks like this small hill and you can just see the people lining it and you get there and it's like another six, seven, eight-minute, like, climb just going up. Um, so, like, that's what makes that race so special to me is you're out there for – uh, like five and a half hours, maybe the winners are doing four hours a half or something. And at multiple times during that race, you're going through villages or up these mountains, and the crowds are as big as you'd find in like a, a city marathon. Unreal. Wow. Sounds Unreal. like we have to put that on the bucket list. Yeah, I'm keen. Talking I'm keen. it up. I'm talking it up, hey. <laughs> yeah. right, no, I'm, I'm there. Good. I'm there. So, mate, you've been quoted as saying it's not an adventure until something goes wrong. So what has been your most mental, monumental misadventure so far? Um, oh, God. Some of, look, what I really enjoy doing these days is setting with limited time going, um, I've got seven days or I can put a week away to just do something for myself and going off and trying to experience as much as I can in that time. So we came up with this idea a few years ago about, um, you know, pretty much going, we've got seven days, let's travel to different spots of whether it's Australia, or I was up in Japan last year doing it, and let's just go and, like, explore running as much as we can in seven days. But, you know, I suppose ultra and trail running is all often about, you know, finding out in one location how far you can go. 
I really enjoy the kind of stress, I suppose, of, um, you know, putting that into a logistical challenge as well. So combining kind of travel, logistics, running um, and all the things you face, you know, that you face doing that. Um, So like probably the biggest, the first one I really ran into, we were down in Tassie and we were trying to get to the tallest place, like the highest point in Tassie, which is Mount Ossa. So normally you'd come into Ossa along the overland track, which is like, you know, four-day hike or whatever and we came into Ossa like um through a forestry track drove in as close as we could get and then we we're going to run in through a different place called um I think it's called River Arms Track anyway when we got in there the um the whole place had been flooded a few weeks before so there was like really big trees across the roads and everything so what was going to be a I think a 45k day turned into like a 60k day to get up to the top of Ossa and back um so when we when we we crossed over this little riverbed and um there were some workers there working and we said are we all right to go in and get out and he said yeah as long as you're in and out by the day it's no stress you'll be fine um little did he know you couldn't even drive you know a few a few kilometers down the track there are already trees there so me and the guy who um, comes and films and kind of does some of the running with me, we went in, went up. Um, I ran up the top. And it was all like covered in snow and ice. We had no idea at this stage it would be like that. It was like I think we were expecting maybe like a five to six hour run. I came out like seven or eight hours later. By the time we got back to the section, they'd shut the national park up like full on gates. We were like two hours from Launceston. We the one day I've got no tents, no food. We're already stuffed, nothing. Um, so we're like, what the hell? What are we going to do at this point? So we backtracked. We remember seeing some lights up in the forest, and we ended up finding a, like this random cabin that had um, some white water instructors in there. And they ended up giving us like this mud map to get out of the forest through a gate they knew that had been unpinned, so it wasn't locked. And it took us two and a half hours of driving through the forest at night to get out. So by the time, you know, we end up back in Launceston about midnight or something for the longest day ever. Um, but we've had, we've had pl- like, you know, plenty of them. My mate who, the same guy who um, comes with me, a guy called Shane Barry, he, we were running the Cape to Cape track in WA. I think it was 2.9 or maybe last year or 2.19. And he was doing some filming and dropped the car keys in the sand while we were filming at some point. So I I've got that. to... Yeah, I've got down. Yeah, yeah, and we use these trackers that, um, like sat trackers, where you can kind of communicate to each other. But the hope, like, um, the hope was because you got about a five minute delay often on the messaging. So one messages, and then like you wait, 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 and then you go and do something, and then finally, oh no, go back. So I was literally just zigzagging on this track back and forth, wondering what to do. Um, the kicker was someone found the keys in the end, but he had to get a lift down with some locals and. Yeah, and this just happens daily, and that's what you know. To me, that's what I call you know. It's not it's not adventure in the sense of like I'm conquering, running across the Antarctic or anything like that. Like to me, that's actually fun adventure. Just this always dealing with stuff going and seeing like completely new locations in such a short time frame. Yeah, was that that clip? Um, was it eight locations across Australia in eight days or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we go. We, well, the original one we did was because unfortunately there's bloody um, eight states and territories instead of seven. But um, the original one we did was we went up all the mountains. Like then we were just looking for like what would be the ideal trails we would run if we had a choice. So I literally just picked 
what I wanted to, like if I had the trail in each place in each state I wanted to run these were them so like we um you know, some of them aren't easy, like Kings Canyon, for example. We it's a short, quick track, but we'd never been out there, so it was one we wanted to do. And you know, like literally to fly to Northern Territory, fly into Alice, drive, you know, I don't know, like three or four hours out to run a track. Most people are thinking, like, why the hell would you do that? But you fail to see the like most people fail to see the actual excitement of it is the travel, like. The end point's actually the running, and it's amazing, but it's all what you get to do in between that, like, um, you know, where we've been driving four-wheel drives before. We've been out, like, bogging ourselves in the middle of, like, sandy rivers in the middle of um, out the back of Mount Seal in Northern Territory, and, like, that's when you start to really find out stuff about yourself. Like, running's one aspect of it and getting tired, but when, you know, you're so remote and then things start going wrong with, like, cars or food or um you know technology not working for you and you've got to do it on your own that's what kind of makes you know that's what excites me these days it's the journey is that what they the, say the journey yeah, the journey not the destination. <laughs> so mate out of all those like those eight trails around australia is there one particular one you'd like to get back to and spend a bit more time running on and please don't say lake burley griffin Definitely not Lake Burley Griffin. Um, <laughs> there's a story to that. I mean, ACT guys will just – I've got a few mates down there like Sean Crichton and Daniel Green. They'll rip into me for this. But we ran um, the mountains out the back of the Snowies and then we thought like really like for kind of remote stuff, what else is there? There's not much there. So we got – when I ran that Burley Griffin lap, it was like bloody 11 p.m. at night or something, midnight, and it was about – two degrees it was bloody awful but um <laughs> we had to just tick i like i'm pretty stringent when i set something i'm like i've got to do it right and that was just like ticking the box in act before we went down to um up into the snow uh, up into where we go kosciuszko somewhere um but where would i spend more time uh northern territory i think still got a lot to be discovered out there running wise you know like most people don't realize how good the trails are for both both mountain biking and hiking around alice um it i've done the mountain biking and the running out there and it's just every time it's a place i love going and then north like as far as i suppose if you're a runner and you don't want to you're kind of not comfortable in those environments kind of really remote and and just want to be a little bit close to home but have an adventure also i think north queensland's the best place to go so the stretch from say townsville up into the daintree and a little bit further like maybe cape trip and that um it's just endless jungle trails you can do and still be relatively close to civilization and be like most of the time have cell reception so it gives you that little bit of um Put you at ease a little bit, but you still feel like you're, you know, lost world. A little bit biased on that one, perhaps, Courtney, or definitely not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no way. Um, if any, if anyone goes and runs up Mount Bartle Frere and comes back and say that wasn't an adventure, um, they've got a problem because, oh. um, yeah, I mean, like you think of places like Tassie, and it's amazing running down in Tassie and the trails and, and everything you've got there is it's endless and you can keep going for days. But um, when you think about what's actually really a, an adventure and a running adventure, that's where Northern, like Northern Queensland is 
you know, and I'm assuming Pacific Islands would be very similar, but um, Northern Queensland's like a just a different world to be running in because of that. You got the heat, you know. You've got all the, you know, I suppose you've got all the wildlife to deal with, um, and then it's just thick jungle, like yeah, always tropical. thick jungle, tropical. So I think, like, sorry, I'm harping on a bit on this, but <laughs> on a on a different tangent. If you think about, I often think about um, like trail runners in Australia. We're always trying to be Europeans, right? Everyone mm. wants to be mountain runners, or but the the reality is we don't have mountains. So I would love everyone to actually focus on what we do have in Australia and the in the terrain and the environments we do have because we've got really unique terrain, whether it's outback or or rainforest, and we've got our own unique stuff. But I. Th- got this feeling everyone always wants to kind of compare and be mountain runners be europeans and it's you know i'd I'd rather focus yeah hey uh, i'm gonna uh try one of these red bulls that you send (laughs) yeah thanks uh, for sending them over mate hmm tastes different without vodka this is the first time for me (laughs) so you obviously haven't tried them running men they're not out out on the uta course Nah, nah. I'm, yeah, I only tried it with vodka, but it's quite nice still. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, I don't, you don't sound real convincing. Nah, um, I'll, I'll duck out. There's a bottle over around the corner. I'll duck out and top it up. Hey, cool. we, we get, we get a lot of uh, on on that. We get a lot of, um, you know, the guy like it's obviously a lot of trail runners around the globe who are brand, you know, run for Red Bull, and there's a lot. Of, you probably kind of cop a little bit of flack on it and the reality is what is in a can everyone will go out and drink flat coke and no mm. one has a say about it what you're actually seeing in the can of red bull is, is like it's this is you're getting the same benefit as the flat coke but in a better proportion mm-hmm. you're getting a bit more caffeine and and the simple sugars to get energy in your system as quick as possible so you know i know it's like it gets a I suppose this extreme nature of it, and people don't probably understand it in in you know a proper proper functional nature. But everyone's happy to do you know drink certain things. And if you actually look at it as um, you know just comparing apples for apples, if you look at what most energy gels are these days, mm-hmm. you pretty much the ingredients in a can of Red Bull is an energy gel, but you get in the water with it. That's true. Yeah. Fluid intake. I've used it's actually quite cool. Yeah. Hey, um, can I ask you about six foot track? We've we've uh, a bit obsessed with it. In uh, in twenty seventeen, you came second to Vlad. You ran three eighteen. Then in twenty nineteen, um, you won it in a time of three thirty one. So it's thirteen minutes slower. You still beat Vlad, which is important. What do you put the slower time down to? The thirteen minutes slower. Um, honestly, no idea. I'm, I was as kind of uh, to a point I couldn't work it out either. Um, it definitely was a little bit hotter, but I would never think that would make that big a difference to me being, you know, like I race fairly well in heat anyway. I'd nearly go the other way and say I prefer it to be a little bit warmer. I struggle in the cold weather with my muscles. Um, I've got no idea, mate. I, I really don't. Uh, I was probably – I definitely – I probably wasn't running quite as fit as what I was in the 2017 one, but we we banged out pretty hard in when was it last year 219, 
yeah, because I couldn't, I didn't run the two eighteen one. Um, in two nineteen, we I went out pretty hard because I thought I knew I was a little bit underdone, and I thought if I can use my speed and get out quick, and take some people with me and kind of you know make them go a little bit harder than they probably should, I was just hoping that I kind of didn't have to blow myself up as much as what they would to keep with me. Um, whether that actually worked out or not, I'm not sure, but that could have had something to do with my time. But then when you look at it across the whole race, it was pretty consistent, right? Yeah, everyone was 15 minutes down pretty much. So I think the heat and humidity must have played a part there. Yeah, I mean, over a race of that distance, um, it's definitely going to play a part. But I I never felt like it did when I was running. Mm. We we went through um, the river on, I think, close to record time, if not as good as anyone had gone down through there. Um, yeah, mate, it's just one of those things, right? I think sometimes it's not worth trying to read into stuff. And that's no. what, um, you know, it's interesting at the moment. Sorry to go off on a bit of a tangent, but it's interesting at the moment because suddenly I've noticed, like, with this lockdown stuff and that, every, it's great. Everyone's becoming a runner. But with that, we've got everyone becoming an expert as well. And yeah. um, it's it's interesting because, like, you can you can start to make running too complicated and it's just – it's pretty simple. And sometimes it's best left just unanswered. Um, I reckon you've got to go back to the preparation and look at how the preparation was before that event and just kind of – analyze the race more on how you're prepared and if the consistency across the whole board was everyone was down on their time i would look at how i've either improved or or how my preparation was in comparison to previous years and just go off that because you can draw positives from anything and if your preparation was better and you've arrived there better to race then i'd take that away and go well you know what it was a better year for me and i'll work on that again next year that's how i look at it that's good advice mate thank you Got a got a listener question coming from Arm Sleeves 04. It says, I uh, I recently watched a clip of you running around Wanaka with these goofy looking paddle things on your hand and a swimming cap on. Is this a fashion forward running trend I should adopt or is there something I'm missing here? <laughs> I hope not, is the easy answer. Um <laughs> definitely, definitely missing something. And um that's straight out of the triathlon books, isn't it? That one about weird weird kind of apparatus or equipment <laughs> with you but no that's a uh, do you boys know about it? like it's a run swim a run and, swim, uh, yeah 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 i mean they've become quite popular um in europe i went over with a a, a red bull fellow called Braden curry in new zealand and we did it together just um out like more out of interest and it was an endurance event and hey it's a it's a just another way to try something different um there's one i know they do up in the cook islands as well which i reckon would be pretty good to do i know one of the bondi rescue guys does one in sydney um it's definitely more run orientated than swimming because this the running's you know quite heavy as is far that, as insurance events go is that reedy no bacon one of the other guys um okay. reedy reedy runs a, a kind of like a soft sand slash swim run on, yeah. bondi, on bondi beach yeah. Um, he does another race, but no, the run swim runs like it's more of a global thing. Um, and the kicker is, which is like, there's, I suppose there's rules on equipment, but at the same time, there's not rules on equipment. So that's where the big paddles come in. So like when you're swimming, you can 
kind of pull as much water as you want. So you got the paddles on, but the one to like, cause you got to swim with shoes on. That's always the interesting one. So when we did it, like there's companies out there who have designed special wetsuits and all of this stuff, me and Braden, all we did was just cut a pool noodle in half, wore some long socks, jam the pool noodle, half a pool noodle down the shin. And <laughs> it was like, again, you know, so often things can be overcomplicated. Like everyone's trying to design these things, like different suits and everything. You just get an old pool needle, carve it in half and throw it on. And it was, it was like cost two bucks and it was the best thing I could have done. That's classic. Uh, unreal, man. Very good. Can we uh, talk a little bit about Red Bull Wings for Life? So ordinarily it would be on in about a week's time. Um how has that changed with the, the lockdown business? Yeah, I mean, it's just events in general, isn't it, at the moment? It's um, unfortunate. As far as the Wings for Life event goes, there is the option, because it's virtual, um, there is an option to run with the app, but because it's a global event. So my first thing is, yeah, I mean, if you if anyone wants to support it and still donate to the, the fund, the Wings for Life World Run Fund, um, it's 100% of the proceeds go to charity um, and they'd still appreciate any donations. And if you want to get out and have a run on a late on a Sunday night with a virtual car on a phone chasing you, by all means, I'd encourage it. But um, the reality of it is what makes that event so unique is that everyone around the globe is running at the same time in these events. Um, and there's this global leaderboard and the whole thing around that. And it's just not possible this year. So mm-hmm. we were going to run in Perth, um, but that's obviously been postponed. Um, the 220 events being postponed. Yeah, yeah. We've, um, we have we have a bit to do with Ali, who has done very well in the last couple of wins for life. And um, you, you've had a few great battles with, uh, with Ali over the years. Do you think there's a better soft sand runner on the planet at the moment? Oh mate, he's he's a whippet across the soft sand. He, um, yeah, I love I love the way um, Jock and and their whole group train. It's like um, kind of really going back to basics. Nearly talking about the early days of Percy, uh, you know, them training in the dunes and all that type of stuff. It's real. Uh, they just they just they approach it differently to everyone. And they have fun with when when they're doing that. But um, he runs like amazing, and he I suppose the work he puts in as well that's what shows. And as mm-hmm. a like a lot of the time you see a runner who's as fluent as him and can get across the sand as well as him, or even these days a half marathon, and he moves so well. But he is running a lot, and mm-hmm. he's in the gym and he's training, and there's a lot of work behind what he's doing that um, you know I think you got to appreciate as well. But I don't. What do you do? Man, I think he beat me more than I beat him anyway, that's for sure. A <laughs> <laughs> ding-dong battle at the front. It's actually got a few years younger. <laughs> you got a couple on you, mate, definitely. It's actually a good segue. We might just head quickly over to our base camp altitude to have a quick chat with Ali about his recent stint of altitude, altitude training, the lead-up for this uh, Red Bull Wings for Life virtual event. Okay, we're here with Ali, the Flash Najim, wanting to chat about uh, the Wings for Life this Sunday and uh, his experience at Base Camp Altitude. How are you, Ali? I'm good, I'm good. Howdy, mate. How are you? Mate, I'm well. I'm well enjoying the uh, the isolation, bit of time to train at the moment. It's been good. How's, uh, how's the fitness leading up to Sunday? 
Man, it's actually been really good. It's um, this isolation has been a blessing in disguise. I think fitting it plenty more runs, um, a bit more stretching. I should say yep. a bit more. Probably should be doing yep. a fair bit more, but man, it's been good. It's been good. So you've had uh, plenty of time to do all the the one percenters then. Exactly right, man. Just perfecting all the little things now that you can't do when you know you're you're out and about or you spend an hour or two driving to and from training. So, man, it's yep. actually been really good. So it's just been helping me focus and. It's actually been a lot more relaxing. There's no no added sort of no expectation or pressure of sort of you know a deadline for a race. It's more just yep. your training and just to be fit. So it's been really good. Just building that base constantly at the moment. Yeah, unreal. And so, how long's your your training block been for this Wings for Life race, mate? It's eight years. Been no, no it's, been, <laughs> it's, it's been solid. Um, been really focused on this for the last twelve weeks. I'll say. Just, just specifically on Wings for Life, so adding in the second runs or the, the second long run and the second runs and, and just all the sort of endurance stuff. So doing sort of two track sessions on a Wednesday instead of one. Um, it's been tough the last 12 weeks, really just focusing on this. Obviously, we've got the big base from, you know, the years before and all the longer stuff, but it's tough mentally just trying to sort of, you know, you do one intense set, then, you know, you're literally doing back-to-back two intense hours of just straight training of, you know, intervals or whether it's a long run or, you know, doing four hours worth of long runs on a Sunday. When you know, generally used to doing say an hour and a half or two hours, and then you get to rest the whole day. So, been tough. It's been demanding on the body, mm. uh, very demanding. And we added in a bit of uh, a bit of more training, which uh, we'll get into a bit later on at base camp. But man, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been crazy. It's been crazy just how how much I prepared for this, and it's weird because when you put so much you put so much training into it, generally I get nervous. I'm like, oh, I have such an expectation, but I'm like. A lot more relaxed. I think I just I just trust the process now. I'm like, well, you know, I put all this hard work. It's going to pay off, and if it doesn't pay off today, it might pay off tomorrow. So yeah, yeah, totally. Such such a good attitude to it, mate. Yeah. Can Can you tell the listeners a little bit about how this app runs going to work on Sunday, mate? Now, to be completely honest, I've I've had a brief look at it, but as far as I know, and because I'm not the best at reading, I've got to read it properly. Which I guess <laughs> helped me with with that one, but I know it's um it's very similar as you would be at a flagship. So we'll take off at nine o'clock at night. Obviously, the car takes off, and then half an hour, half an hour, the car takes off. Also, yeah, now on the app it shows where the car is, whereabouts, and it also has a voiceover, so you get to sort of listen in and see where the car's at. And every half uh, hour, the car gets faster by a kilometer. So, so you'll have that in your ear the whole time. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably plan. I'll probably plan on a speaker. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not the king of having. I never run with music in or. Or generally have my a phone on me, so it'd be yeah. a bit different that wise. But probably good, be, be a bit of company there. Yeah, yeah. Um, be a good, be a good challenge. Saying I've never done something like this before, so it's exciting. Um, yeah, I'm excited, it's, I'm excited to see what it's like. I'm praying that Brightland Sands has good reception that up that night. Okay, uh, there's a family reception, but no, it should be good. And and so that's where you're going to do it along the boardwalk at Brighton, there. Yeah, yeah. I've called it. This is what I've called. I've called it the Matt North Marathon Course. Since that marathon <laughs> did there a few weeks back, I've called it the Matt North Marathon Course. And I've named it. Whether anyone wants to change or not, that's what it calls in mind. It's the most perfect loop. We had such a good run on the marathon. It gave me such a massive high and confidence. So yeah. I've been training for the last four weeks now. Everything's been isolation, and I've just gotten more confident. I sort of worked out how I'm going to run it, and and you know, sort of the stages where I'm going to put my drinks and and whatnot. So. Yeah, be running along along the hood. Unreal, mate. And you got a little support crew out there, sort of helping you out. Yeah, let's see, mate. We um obviously the rule being two people only, so yeah. I have one person with me, Jesse, my my best mate, Jesse Thus, also work mm-hmm. alongside him. Um, he's gonna be he's gonna be there beside me, um, just sort of pushing me along and may hand me drinks whenever I can. Just something different. Like it's obviously yeah. you know when when you're doing it on the app, it's you know it's not 
it's not like you're at a flagship where, you know, you, you got two pace bikers and you're running amongst the whole sort of crew. You're sort of on your own. So it's yeah. good to have someone there push along. I'm going to have sort of – Jock is going to be along the course, um, somewhere around there, probably halfway, and then have a few friends. My fiance as well should be out there and just give me a bit of a scream shout, a bit of a reminder that why I'm doing it. That'd be good, mate. It's good. Like I said, something so different. So I think it's why I'm so, so much more relaxed because I'm, I'm not doing that run alone for the first time. Generally, yeah, you're yeah. alone when you're out there and you're 50 k's into a highway and you've got no idea where you are in you know Melbourne. Um, this was going to be at Perth, but you have no idea where you are, what you're doing. So it's going to be very different, but I'm, I'm pumped. It's the only the only conclusion we got this year is just how far can we go on an app? So okay, unreal. And and what um, have you got a goal in mind there? Do you think there's something you can achieve? Man, I, I want to win it 100. Yeah. percent I've said this to Jockey. I I'll keep coming back to do this race years after years until I win it. Whether you know the first goal to win it in Australia, be the first Australian, and I know there's going to be a fair, fair bit of tough competition online this year and. I'm thinking anywhere between 64 to, to 66, generally, if, if I can hold the pace. Um, it's different doing that pace, say, for 30, 40 Ks, and then trying to hold mm. the additional 20, the mm. different threshold. But, um, yeah, man, that, that's the goal. Six, anywhere over 60, I'll be stoked. Um, it just shows that I'm improving every year. Unreal, mate. And, and uh, to give us some sort of perspective, what, what sort of pace will you be needing to maintain for that 60-odd Ks to, to get there? Well, the goal pace that – Jock and I'll be going for it'll be sort of in between 340, 350. So in between that, I'll, I'll be happy with. Um, mm-hmm. I've been training at sort of trying to hold 340, 345. I'm um, just sort of playing on the safe side. And obviously, when you got the adrenaline rush and you got the sort of the app there going, you sort of you're always running slightly faster. So mm-hmm. give and take, in between 345, 350, I'll be trying to sort of stay stay at that pace, just to be on the safe side and sort of try and keep my legs and as sort of as fresh as possible early on. Yep. Um, and then just try and race smart. I think every year I get too excited, way too hyped up. And I'm running my first year, try to chase corn, and he was doing 330s for 30Ks as training. I had no yeah. idea. So I'm sitting there trying to chase his bloke at 330s. Let me tell you, I felt every bit of it by the end of that run. <laughs> but, um, I should yeah. hope so. Yeah. But no, so I think I'd be on a bit more smarter. 340s, 345, 350, and between that would be ideal. It's a solid okay. tempo. It's a threshold. Um, oh, it mate. stings the legs after probably about a marathon worth. Um, but mate, I can only imagine, mate. Yeah, <laughs> mate, you get the you Trust me, it's but it's good fun. Uh, that, that's the pace we go for, and we'll just have to see what the night plans out. Oh, mate, that's it. That sounds amazing, and best of luck. That's for sure. Um, I just want a quick chat about uh, your experience with Basecamp Altitude. So, for I guess the last couple of months before this lockdown, you, you'd had the chance to to do some training there. Um, You've done a bit of altitude training before up in Falls Creek, but were you surprised at how tough those initial sessions were in in the chamber? Let me tell you that I've never felt I've never felt how I never experienced how tough altitude was until going to that chamber. Because when you're out in the open, it's different. I think um, you still feel like you the, the, you got the air, you got the wind, you got the temperature. When it's in the chamber, it definitely feels like it's like a lot more restricted. You definitely feel like you're working a lot harder. Mm-hmm. And that's what he was. It may work a lot harder. The test in itself, you see now how hard he was. And, mate, I, I was sweating out of storm. And, mate, I've never worked so hard in the chamber. So to have that different experience was definitely eye-opener. And it definitely changed me physically and as well training-wise. It, it, it changed the way I trained because I had to be a lot smarter approaching altitude. Mm-hmm. Um, it allowed me as well to improve so much. You know, my, my times are dropping dramatically. I'm, I'm still, you know, doing solid times. You know, in there when I first joined, when I first jumped into base camp, um, we sort of did a bit of a within myself. I just did a, you know a test that uh, eight k's worth of running, and I was doing that. I was struggling to get that done in forty five minutes. 
yep. just at the altitude chamber and obviously the obviously jock being jock we turn off the air con so to make it slightly more harder and nice and hot yeah yep. yeah as we know that one and the room got steamy but you know by the end of it now you know i was able to do 15 k's in an hour so mm-hmm. the pace change making i knew every week i was improving and improving and, and to add that into my training for wings for life this year has been something i've never ever done before and that mm-hmm. was the most excited part which you guys blessed me with to have the experience to do that and I, and I, I can't wait for the lockdown's finished because, mate, I can't wait to jump back in there and get ready for a marathon doing that because it definitely changed the dynamic of the way we train. Yeah. Um, it allowed us to it allowed us to push our body slightly more, obviously being on a treadmill. Mm. Um, but it's all allowed us to sort of test how much we can push our body. Obviously, mm. having the heart rate monitors, checking the heart rate, checking, checking the oxygen intake, um, checking how everything sort of sits. It was the first time I really measured my body. I've never really done that before. Obviously, mm. I'm... I'm pretty unorthodox when it comes to all the training and never used to wear a watch so even that actually inspired me to get a watch because then i can see my own heart rate and see how everything works it's the first time within eight years I've ever worn a watch and actually track everything i'm doing week by week That's so it's, been, it's crazy how much base camp has changed with an athlete as well not just how mm. tough it was it, it changed the way i, I approach it um and that's why it was just so different it's different so you than feel like Having that sort of scientific approach to it and, and seeing those numbers played out has made a difference to you. One hundred percent, mate. I, like, like I said, I'm not much of a scientist or much science behind it. But when I saw how 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 crucial it is and how much of a change it does, and then when I felt it, and then it's all physically changed, I was like, well, this is crazy. It's not just a gimmick. It's not just what you know. It's not a fad. It's not a. It's not a phase. It actually works. Mm, you know, and you look at likes like you look at likes of the pressure, like Emo Farah's and stuff like that. You know, we all dream to be like those athletes. So to have the experience to get, you know, a quarter, 15% of just like and get the experience and taste of it, made him mm. want you, he gets you hungry and hungrier. So he definitely re-motivated me as well to, to race and train. Unreal, mate. Oh, it's, uh, I really hope it makes a big difference to this Wings for Life. And then certainly the back half of the year, once we can get you all back up into base camp training, then it'll be great to see those numbers play out at some fast, fast time. So I'm mate. pumped. I'm and pumped. Those treadmills are the best things ever. I, I said that the other week, man. Those, those treadmills, <laughs> like, I've never jumped on a treadmill the same ever again. It's not the same. All right. That's no, good to know. That's good to know. Well, mate, I'll, I'll, I'll let you get back to it, but uh, best of luck with the lead up to Sunday, and, and I hope we see 66 kilometres and the, and the big number one from Ali the Flash. That sounds um, I, uh, I can't wait to follow it, mate, and uh, check out the progress. So uh, have, have a great run, mate. Mate, thank you, and thank you once again to you and Matt, mate, for letting us use the base camp. And mate, we cannot wait till all this is over, so we're back in there training again. So let's let's just let's, let's just pray this thing's over. Hey, bloody oath, yeah. nice and fast. Thanks, mate. That's See it. you soon. Mate, you okay, and we're we're back. Good chat, Ali. Thanks for the chat, Ali. Lovely bloke. He's a good fella. What about um the the, the next cab off the rank for Red Bull? Is the, the the defiance race still going ahead at this stage? Um. So Defiance was planned for, I've got to look at my calendar over the back there, it's start of September. So it falls in that category of just really unsure um, right at this stage. It's like all events. It's, um, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, we're just, I mean, everyone's at, every event's at the whim of, of um, what's going on, right? And there's more important things as well to worry about at the moment um, yeah. than what's going to be happening in September. Like, let's just hope. I mean, forget. I mean, we, um, Red Bull Defiance is an amazing race, and everyone who came to it last year, I think, um, 
were quite new to adventure racing a lot of people and they got their kicks out of doing it and they had a great time so um whether it's on this year or in the future years i'd encourage everyone to come and look at it and and have a look at doing it because as far as if you like trail running and you like adventure it's not that far a stretch to go and get involved in adventure racing Mm. um you know it is really like a long day out hiking to a degree for most people and um you can the skills i suppose you have from running on the trail you kind of if you can ride a bike they translate across to a bit of rough riding and you know kayaking is just a matter of doing a little bit you know it's not overly skill based in those races um so yeah but i just hope i really do hope at this stage that you know we have some events this year and not for the sake of you know i'm not one to say for me to race I just think um, in general, you know, we all love, we all train for fitness, we all love sport, but it's so important to have that motivation of a goal as well. And mm-hmm. I think in these times it's really hard to to find those goals when there's so, so much uncertainty. Um, I don't know. Have you guys got any answers on that? Do you like the Strava stuff that's going on, like the challenges? And oh, look, I think, um, like you're saying, there's a certain amount of intrinsic motivation there. I know... Matty has clocked a marathon PB during this time and I knocked off a half marathon PB just out there sort of having your own crack. So there's there's different ways to sort of gauge how your fitness is going and, you know, put something out there. People just need to get creative, I suppose. Yeah, well, maybe we can work on that a little bit. I mean, I think the longer this drags on, the more I think we'll start seeing more and more, um, not so much virtual challenging but just like, physical real life challenging but it'll be just done through those platforms where yeah. you can still race or still have interaction um of challenging competition but just done through those you know through those ways i mean i know like there's always there's always you know every negative there's always a positive too and um like for me because travel's been locked down i've i'm fitter than i've been in a long time at the moment because i've been able to run consistently day to day without needing to travel so I um, don't want to drag. I don't want it to drag on too long, but at the same time, you know, sometimes it's actually, you know, refreshing to have a, a change of pace. Mm, definitely, for sure. Are you, is your is your family missing the trips? I noticed that your wife set up a while family Insta page. That looks like you guys are living the dream. Yeah, I well. Don't ever believe everything on social media, right? Isn't that the first rule? <laughs> no, I say, I say that in jest. Um, I have a really, uh, I have a great relationship with Tourism Queensland that started back at the Commonwealth Games, and it started in sport, and it's and it's, um, I suppose, moved into kind of more family travel and and family stuff. So we get to experience some great things up here in our stuff, like our home state, and um yeah i mean it's a little bit difficult at the moment but you know what it's it's like anything it's not going to be forever Mm. um and if like we talk about silver linings or you know positives and negatives i from my perspective i'm really looking forward to the fact that we're going to have a renewed focus on tourism in australia because obviously international travel is going to take longer to get back and um you know with what's happening with the airline industry to a degree you know drive driving holidays and driving travel is going to come on strong and i think like i truly believe it's going to be a great thing for families um because you know what you can experience out on the road with your kids and what they get to experience and i suppose what they learn on the road is just like 
that's why we keep going and doing it. It's not because of, um, it's definitely not because of social media and it's definitely not because of the trips. It's because, um, you know, putting four of us in a rooftop tent, our kids just love it. Mm. Yeah, they lap it up, don't they? Yeah. Mate, um, have you ever had a crack at one of these Red Bull 400 events, these things up the, the ski ramps that I've seen floating around? No, I haven't, but it's definitely um, it's it's penciled in um, as a as a go. Okay. My um, the closest thing I come is la- up in Japan last year. We did a I did a Red Bull race there that had it was up three thousand three hundred thirty three steps. So, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds terrible. It it was a, it was bloody interesting. Um, so it was up to a te- it was up to a temple too. So. Like the steps weren't all the same. It was like some steps were longer, some were like built like more like stone steps, and I think it was about twenty five minutes just straight up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> speaking of um, speaking of races, um, one that caught my eye in twenty twelve, you did the escape from Alcatraz triathlon, and uh, I remember seeing it on telly, and it, it looks like such a unique race. You jump off the ferry at the start, and you. Alcatraz and you've got to swim back through the harbour. Can you tell us a bit about that race? 100 percent Um, you're dead on about being unique, right? Um, and coming back. It's like, what events do you want to do? Something that's interesting. And um you the fact you start the swim, like you're pretty much break like breaking out of the prison, right? They they get you hundred meters or two hundred meters away on a barge from Alcatraz. And you just got to swim your own line of sight back to the beach. So by the time everyone starts swimming, like everyone jumps in off the side of the ship, and then it just spreads out. So like it's it's like from a safety point of view, it's a really interesting event because I can't see how they do that here in Australia or somewhere. There's just too much focus on keeping everyone safe. But they get they do it there, and it's been going for years. Um, it's bloody cold. The one thing around that is the year I did it there's like heaps of seals in the water. And about a year later after I did it, I was watching YouTube and they tell us when we're racing that there's no great whites in there. And then I'm watching YouTube right next to the same ferry that goes out to Alcatraz, this seal, this great white just comes up and gets the seal, takes it out of the water and dumps it about 20 metres away from the ferry. And I was like, I'm so glad I did it then because there's no way, I'll be right. no way after seeing that. But and I'm not I'm not kidding you here. I heard I don't know how legit this is, but the story was like the, at the time the sharks because the water's so cold or something to do with the water, they won't come up like to a certain level, um, oh, like, no. to a certain height. And I kind of just took it for granted. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, okay, sounds good. And then I oh, no way now, not a chance <laughs> in hell. <laughs> so we're not um, selling. Uh... Alcatraz too well at this point. <laughs> nah, kind of went you know, down a, ba- a bad road. But no, nah, it's, it's one of those races that I go, like there's certain races around the globe that either have, um, there's two factors. One's either history behind a race that you want to do it or the second thing's just pure, like that's an interesting event. Like that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So, mate, how, how does it work with your Red Bull relationship? Do, do you dream up a new adventure and pitch it to them or do they find an insane ridge on Google Maps and say, you know, go and run that, Courtney? Um, it's a combination, to be really frank. So over the years, um, we often get pitched ideas of what would be interesting to do. Um, I definitely have some ideas I pitch in. 
Um, the company, I mean, Red Bull from an athlete perspective has just been amazing because they, like their whole mantra is give wings to athletes or give wings to people, right? That's the brand kind of promise or that's what they, they want to go. So like obviously it's a product that you drink, um, but the idea around the brand is gives you wings. So nothing's ever too out there, of course. Like you've seen that from people jumping, like Felix jumping from space and things like that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I'm kind of not at that <laughs> that level. But we come up with certain things. But do you know what? The most of the most of the good stuff is never planned. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best way I can explain it is, and this explains my relationship with Red Bull is I was tasked to go to to Osaka to do a triathlon clinic with um, um, a university there. So we went into Osaka, we went in, we did the university. It was all like typical triathlon stuff. Um, The athlete manager in Japan said to me, oh, we're looking at doing an adventure race in these islands um, off off the northern um, coastline called the Oki Islands. I'd never heard of them in my life. I'm like, oh, he goes, can you come and have a look and just see what you think? So I've gone up with him to these Oki Islands, had no plans to do anything except just um, we're just going to fly the drone and get kind of some pictures to see whether how would look for content. Um, they were actually at the time looking for whether there was some sections for one of their athletes who was a climber, whether they could do some um, production with them. So I suppose I was more like on a production exercise. Anyway, I got on Google Maps, looked at this ridge and went, oh, that'd be interesting to go up there, got up there what I thought I'd be able to run, and it was the single scariest day of my life. <laughs> I've um, seen the video footage, mate. It is hairy. This thing see, is like a knife edge. It was dumb, dumb, and dumber um, <laughs> because – but you get in that – like you get in the moment and we'd like – We'd got a guide to get us to the where it was because I had no idea. I could just saw it on a map. Got a guide to get us up there, and then he's just stood on the edge and like looked at it. And I've gone, oh, that is not what we were expecting. Uh, but we've gone to all this effort to get there, everything to the other. Like, ah, oh, stuff it. Like, let's just go. Anyway, <laughs> I did it. Um, the one thing we get asked always, and it makes sense, right? Is that if you're ever doing POV, is like point of view so if you're like obviously the camera is not looking at you you're looking at seeing what you're seeing is that at some point in time show the viewers who's actually doing it and that's the one time i've never done it because i was just like so like oh i was so concentrating on what was going on and by the time i finished i just was like get let's just get out of here that was yeah stupid but that is the funny thing that that single clip was the first time I suppose just pure raw footage had gone up on um, Red Bull YouTube, and that started okay. that started a whole new. Um, I mean, I suppose before that, everyone was so conscious about um, having like real professional production done. Mm-hmm. Um, and nowadays, I mean, it's just normal, isn't it? The best the best content's always done by someone doing the real stuff, which is great. I oh, mate, watching that, I had white knuckles and my heart rate was at 180 just watching you do it. It was hectic. Yeah, there's some things I don't mind. Um, like heights doesn't, like, worry me at all. Um, but it was the fact that there was the rock on that, the rock was actually falling. So, oh, wow. I, like, <laughs> it was it was really kind of, I don't, I don't know, I'm the, I don't know what rock it was, but it was kind of, it was crumbling kind of. You had to just really be careful and it was, you know, we didn't have ropes or anything. It was just anyway. I'm here to tell. I'm I'm here. So, so uh, where, where can people find the clip if they they want to? Oh, that one. Um, 
I reckon if oh probably if you just YouTube Courtney Atkinson Red Bull, maybe that would come up or Courtney Atkinson Red Bull YouTube. It's probably one of the better ones that have been up there. We've got to do a better job of like I suppose from my perspective, um, the a lot of the content. Uh, and you asked how I work with Red Bull or just, I suppose, across everything I do is a lot of the content I generate is for others, um, not so much myself in the sense, and when I say not myself, like, you know, in today's world, there's, everyone's so concentrating on what they do. Um, you know, I get to work with some really amazing brands and in the end, what's important is what I'm doing or whatever their athletes are doing is, you know, we're all uh, we're out there kind of, sh- I suppose, showing inspiration for them mm. more so than, you know, giving myself pats on the back. Oh, man, it's certainly inspirational stuff, definitely. I'll just get back to a couple of quick, uh, quick I guess, running-based sort of questions. So, mate, I, I read a training article where you say that every week during the year, regardless of your training block, you do a continuous tempo run of roughly 40 minutes so why, why do you think this session is so important? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing them right now. I think the last three weeks I've been back since I've been home, um, I have a set course and trying to incrementally improve every time. I think it's, for me, the fastest method for aerobic improvement has always been a sustained run. Yeah. And to be unscientific about it, the reason it's 12K is, or 40, for me, 12K equates to about 40 minutes was that I always figured in triathlon to be able to run off the bike hard for 10k if I could do 12k at this sustained pace I always had 2k up my sleeve mm-hmm. and that was the basis of my thinking I mean it's not scientific but it was like for a, a mental approach it was always work for me I was like okay I know I can do this for 12k 10k is going to be a piece of cake yeah. um and it's just this you know, each to their own on how they train. And I think there's so many different ways you can skin a cat. For me, um, my, my the way my body works, the biggest gains have always come from training um, just under that real, like sitting at that aerobic point, but really working. Mm. And I think if you go longer than 40 minutes, you start to get too much of a breakdown. It gets too hard on the body. So like doing hour to 70-minute runs at like those really hard paces, um, I feel like you got to. Re- it takes too long to recover, and then I also believe on the other side, any shorter than that, and you're probably not really getting into that full of like really kicking down into that like aerobic system properly. Yeah, okay, it's interesting. And, and so, what advice do you reckon you can give our listeners on finding that impro- appropriate intensity level for a session like that? So the way the, I mean, I, I'll preempt that with I spent. 15 years in like at the Australian Institute of Sport in programs doing scientific testing around lactic levels and um, you know oxygen consumption levels so I've got a a very good guide on feel for me and what those levels are but from a pure like a pure um, someone who doesn't have access to all that point of view it's that place where you're working you're breathing but you haven't lost control of your breathing yeah, and and there shouldn't be any type of um. And now I'm going to go really just like pure, like that old fashioned idea of lactics burning. There shouldn't be any feeling of like I'm burning. 
Mm, it yeah. should get as the run goes on it actually should get more challenging but you should be able to still have the controlled pace that you started at at the end and if you mm-hmm. want to go into more like heart rates i'll always like i always kind of allow myself about you know five beat kind of float or a five beat float up but maybe no way more than 10 beats from yeah, myself so where i kind of start at well that's a nice objective way to measure it that's good thanks mate and so what, what about coming from that sort of hyper-competitive scene of triathlon racing? Where, where do you think trail running sits in terms of that professionalism and competition at this stage? Um, I mean, on the global scale, it's, it's there. It just doesn't have the numbers um, mm. in the sense of there's just not – there's not the density of runners all running at that, that level. Um, but globally, it's just as – I mean, you know, those guys are as good as any athlete out there. And they've come from sports, um, you know, like schema and things like that, which they're competing at the highest levels as well. Um, trail running's always, to a degree, going to be niche in the sense that the events, you know, because you're on trails, not everyone has access to it and the events have got to be capped. So you can't have a mass participation event like a city to surf. It's just not possible. Um, but I do believe it's at a level. I think you'll see in the next five years, the more because outdoors is becoming such a trend at the moment and not just running but, you know, hiking, camping and all this, I think trail running is going to continue this boom. And you're seeing, you know, you're seeing people like Ironman now invest in it. It's um, it's it's arrived, that's for sure. And I think it's only – it's I, I can see it as – it was what triathlon was back in the late 90s. Mm. Yeah, exploding a little bit, I reckon. Oh, it's exploding yeah. a lot. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I've got a, one more uh, listener question from the Swiss machine. How do you rate yourself as a technical downhill runner? Um, pretty good, but I'm definitely not the best in the business, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I, know, I know where this question originates from, actually. I think... Uh, you might have been first down the hill in six foot track last year, and and the Swiss machine might have been just on your tail. So, um, okay, yeah, I think that might have been the last time we saw you for the rest of the day. But uh, <laughs> you did pretty well down the hill. <laughs> uh, for 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 an ex triathlete, I reckon I go all right. But um, definitely, like when you get into the environments of like what I'd say true mountain men are like either the europeans or i suppose the guy who taught me uh, the closest thing i suppose i had to a mentor in adventure was a guy called richard usher um in new zealand so like he's won coast to coast multiple times a good great adventure racer um he actually in a past life was a he he was a mogul skier for the olympic new zealand olympic team and when i started running in new zealand over trails first with him I would literally get left behind by like, like I'm talking hundreds of meters, you know, a couple <laughs> hundred meters. Um, you know, like people who grow up in environments um, like that are just on another whole skill level to us. What? But I mean, all you can do is train, right? Um, I lived on the road my whole life um, as far as competition goes. And then within a few years, I think I upskilled myself very well. But we've got, um, you do know, Burley, Burley Heads here on the Gold Coast? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so where all the surf is surf, there's literally a track that goes around the headland and it's all these big boulders. Mm-hmm. And I just used to do laps on the boulders. Yeah, right. And, and I'd just do laps. And I used to fall and I'd be like, come out bloody bruised. But over time, I just did it. And then like, complete, like, the biggest thing, I suppose, with technical running that I've learned is, is shoot like rubber makes the biggest difference. Mm. Having the yeah. right right shoe for the conditions makes a massive difference, which in the beginning I was just, you know, in road shoes or whatever. Typical roadie coming over to the trails. You know, <laughs> takes you a while to work it out. hundred <laughs> percent. Mate, I've just got uh, one, one more question, a little bit diet related and, and sort of, yeah, close to our heart here at Running Matters. So I read that you like to get your carbohydrate intake up for the day by having a beer with dinner most nights. Is that correct? Well, at the moment, yeah, it's getting out of hand. Um, <laughs> I'm not I'm not impartial to a 4X summer at the moment, that's for sure. <laughs> and no, they don't give me drinks. I'm buying every one of them, so they're making a fortune. No, I, um, yeah, I, I, I far out. Um, I'm... You've probably heard throughout this whole thing. I'm just always, you know, for me, you, life just can't be 100% too serious, you, you know. And in a sport like trail running and the, what we get to do in the outdoors and all that, like you should just appreciate, we should appreciate the fact of what it is and that we get to go out and, you know, the sport I suppose that we've chosen to do um, is in these amazing locations and all that. And, man, I reckon we deserve a beer after it. Bloody oath. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> although although it is the low, I must admit, saying that, thinking about diet as well, it is the low-carb one. <laughs> what, yeah, well, you know what, you don't you don't have to uh, sell it to us. We're, we're pretty au fait with that. It's all about balance. It's balance. Master what you, balance. What do, you, what do you think of Tim Tam, sir? Oh, mate. We've got to get that sugar level up somehow. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. It's a balance. <laughs> But I'll, uh, yeah, I'd always have a beer before a Tim Tam, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I might wrap it up. Thanks uh, so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You've, you've passed on some uh, some great stories and some good advice and it's been really good chatting with you. So um, look after yourself and uh, we look forward to following your adventures in the future. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks. It was a great chat and um, hopefully see you down in the – down your way very sooner than later at least. Yeah, um, look us up. Hit us up for a run. Hit us up for a try run, mate. Oh, sure now. Cool. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Uh.